Where is the best place to find wisdom? Where can we find the sages of our day? What is the best place to go to find the, the judges, the counselors, the teachers, the coaches that we most need to hear? Uh, where do we go to find wisdom? What is the, the best place to go in our day to find such, to find such things? Is it, is it possibly, maybe, a, a, a realm, um, an atmosphere that is dominated and full of much information and much facts and much data? Is it possible that that would be a place like that and the, the people that are soaking and immersed in such information and data and uh, facts, would that be the place that we would go for, for wisdom and insight? If so, let me tell you where the best place would be, a newsroom, right? I mean, think, think with me. If, in fact, that's the criteria, if the criteria for wisdom and insight is nothing more than to be immersed in much and the most current information, data, and facts, well, then, of course, the newsroom journalists would be the wisest sages among us to whom we should look for life's guidance, if that's the criteria. But we know that that's not necessarily the case. And history, going all the way back to the very first newspaper, the very first person who reported something for pay, we know that, and so I'm not pointing fingers, I'm not going to name names, I'm not, that's not the, the intent at all, but we just, we just know that time and time again, journalists over the course of their careers, whatever side of the aisle they may be reporting from, whatever perspective it is that they might have, have oftentimes been years gone by and in our own day, exposed as being less than paragons of wisdom. So then, back to the question, where do we go for wisdom? Where do we go for the, to find the sages in our day? Because apparently, raw data, information, and facts alone will not give it to us. Which then, when thinking about the news, forces us to come to this conclusion. We need to rethink this whole thing when it comes to our obsession, I'll call it an addiction, to the news cycles. We need to think again and go back to and rethink and reexamine this whole thing. What are we talking about when we're talking about the news and its role in our lives, the proper place of its role in our lives. Apparently, the news is not nearly as vital as we might think and certainly not as significant as the place that it takes up in our thinking. If you have a Bible, I'd ask you to uh, turn with me to Psalm 29. Psalm 29 is our, our text for this morning. As I said at the beginning of the service, this is one of a, in a little mini-series on the topic of what it means to listen and how the gospel has significance how it has implications for what it means to listen. A few couple weeks ago, we were in James 1. Will was guiding us through, in, through that series, and he was pointing out what James has to say, that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Listening, the implications, though, 
go even be as, sign as significant as that was, has the implications we, as we just start thinking about, well, where else do I need to apply this in my life? And so last week we were looking at the topic of criticism and what it means to listen, to be on the receiving end of hard truths that others are, are proclaiming to us about ourselves. And this week we're looking at, again, what it means to listen to the news. And this is, again, uh, the gospel is how shall I say, counterintuitive and deeply healing at the same time. Counterintuitive and deeply healing at the same time. And so we really do need to pay heed to what the Word has to say here. Follow along with me. Psalm 120, excuse me, Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in His temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people May the Lord bless His people with peace. Let's pray together. Lord, You have made us as creatures, creatures who occupy time and space. Uh, you have placed us where we are, as we are, when we are, with purpose and intent, you have said that you want us to be engaged. You have said that you want us to be salt and light a city on a hill. Surely we cannot then just withdraw into our little respective uh, hobbit holes. Uh, you intend for us to go forth. So we have to listen and we have to be aware. We have to know where we are and when we are and what's going on. And at the same time, we struggle. Uh, we struggle with absorbing the intel reports of where we are and when we are. And uh, we need your help. We need your help. Surely the way a follower of Jesus engages with the news has to be different than someone who does not follow Jesus. Surely, there has to, the, the, the difference must be that stark. But we struggle and we need your help, and we ask that you would push us a bit this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. The Bible does, in fact, speak to the topic of news. It really does. Now, it's not that you find quotations in the letters of Paul from the Jerusalem Gazette. It's not that you find in uh, the letters of John... Uh, quotations from some editor, letters to the editor from uh, the, um, the Dan Dispatch. You're not going to find that, of course. That's, you know, I'm being a little silly and facetious in saying that. But you do see, nonetheless, 
this topic of news coming up again and again in the Scriptures. If nothing else, and this is but a surfacey way to begin this, this thought train, but if nothing else, just doing a search in our English Bible for the number of times that you see the word in our English translations, news. That alone should get our attention. In the ESV, you see that word, again, it's in the English, coming up 65 times. 65 times, and it comes up in a variety of different contexts. Sometimes it's bad news. Sometimes it's good news. Sometimes it's the wrong response to the news. Sometimes it's just the dead-on right response to the news. And then there are a multitude of instances in which you don't see the word at all. There is an absence of the word, and yet the presence of the concept still, case in point. Jesus when he receives the report of the horrific, torturous death of his cousin, John the Baptist. That was news, you understand. Not published, but he's receiving a report, and that would be an interesting, like, sequel sermon, just to look at that text and how does Jesus engage with that moment. It's really something to, to consider. The idea, though, being that the the gospel clearly gives us a framework to see the news, hear the news, absorb the news, engage with the news. It clearly, clearly does uh, as we learn something more and more of who He is and how He has moved and engaged and taken the initiative with us as His people. It gives us a framework. As I said earlier, certainly the the gospel has implications as to how we listen to everything. Criticism, that was last week. This week, the news, or if I can put it this way, the gospel has implications for how we, well, for everything, for how we listen, how we listen to everything, including news. Three points, three things we're going to consider over the next few moments. If you, got, if you printed out your bulletin from the, our Facebook page, you've, you can see this now. It's where I'm going. The first point is this. We need to talk about what is our actual problem? What is our actual problem? It's not what you think. The second thing that's following up is what is the foolish assumption that's driving our actual problem? And then thirdly, what is the only solution and how far, how deep does it have to go? Okay, so we've got our actual problem, the foolish assumption, and the only hope, the only cure, the only solution. Now, quick disclaimer, this is not Richard's typical sermon outline, okay? We're not actually going to get into the text until point three. So it's a big front porch in front of the house. It's a big, long introduction setting the tone before we actually get to the text, Okay, so this is a little different. Normally, those of you who have heard me, been a part of this, this body, you, you're probably expecting me to unpack Psalm 29 from the very start. Hang on, we're getting there. But we're going to set the stage for why we, how Psalm 29 pertains to this question of the news. So let's talk about the actual problem. Again, it's not what you think. It's not bias. The most fundamental issue, the deepest problem when it comes to the reporting and receiving of news is not bias. It's the amount. It's not, if I can put it this way, it's not the quality of the news, how it's formed, how it's captured, how it's relayed, how it's twisted, how it's bent. That's not the main issue. Now, that is a legitimate concern. Let's put that on the table. Be clear. That is a legitimate concern. 
bias in the news. Truth does get twisted in the telling of any tale. Just going from one person to another person, the truth will get twisted somehow, some way, whether with intent or not, with, with maliciousness or not, with malice or not, the truth will get twisted somehow in the telling of the tale, and that is unavoidable. It is inescapable. We all, friends, I hate to tell you, you all have a bias. I have a bias. We all have a bias. Just think with me as to how difficult it is to tell the simplest accounting of a car accident. Right? Your version of what happened depends on what car you were in, when you arrived on the scene, your specialty in how to observe things and what to look for, or your positioning, your posture, you know, where you were, your point from, of observation, your perspective. We cannot avoid bias in our reporting or receiving, whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right, whether you identify as a progressive or as a conservative. We all have the bias. Bias is not the real issue. Bias has been there since the beginning. Even, if I can put it this way, creaturely, just because of our finitude. Since the garden, Adam talking with Eve, pre-fall, bias. And Eve talking with Adam. <laughs> okay. It's just part of what it means to be a creature not knowing everything. The reporting and the receiving. The, the fundamental issue here is not actually bias, the quality of the news. It's the quantity of the news. It's the sheer overwhelming volume. The sheer overwhelming volume, so much that is reported, so much that we take that is reported and we receive is what I'll say or call as irrelevant, irrelevant news, and yet we can't tell. C. John Somerville, as a journalism professor, wrote this classic work, still by it today, but 20 years ago. Here's the title, provocative title. It's hard to believe that a, a journalism professor actually wrote this book and it was published, How the News Makes Us Dumb. It's a great book. I really would encourage you to read it, to, to get a copy of it. C. John Somerville. Here's his thesis, basically, in, in a couple sentences. Each and every day, the news media moguls, because it's a money-making enterprise, the news media moguls are trying to convince us that each day a new thing has taken place that we need to really pay attention to that is the most significant thing of our lives, and it just happened that day. It's more important than anything that ever happened before. So lock on. Oh, and by the way, the same thing's going to happen the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And that's 20 years ago, and now it's changed. If he writes a sequel, he has to talk about how this is something that doesn't just happen every day. It happens every hour and every minute. We're being told that the newest thing is the most significant thing, the most important thing, and you've got to pay attention to it or else you're just not informed. You're just not enlightened. And that's his thesis. Uh, it is constant. I mean, think with me, the, what, you know, CNN, breaking news, Fox News alert. This just in. President died. This just in. Next, cat in tree. We don't know because it's constant. It's continual. It is a flattening. It's what I'll call a moral flattening. We have no idea What's the most significant or important thing? Because it's this constant, steady stream. So much of it is irrelevant, and much of it is inactionable. What's being reported oftentimes is, are, are from places that 
we've possibly never heard of and will never go to, dealing with issues that we do, cannot grapple and understand. And yet we're being told it's the most important thing in that moment. We've got to understand we have an inability to do anything about it, much less grapple with what it is. And when you sit under a steady diet of something like that, here's what happens. You become an anxious person. You become a frustrated person. You might even become an angry person. Anger that spills out of you from places you didn't know where they were into the lives of the people around you, the people that you happen to know in the place that you live because of things having to do with places you've never been and people you'll never meet. So just as surely as this quantity of news is morally flattening, it is also spiritually enfeebling, spiritually crippling. So again, the problem is not so much with the quality of the news, that is a problem, but that's not the uh, ultimate problem. The ultimate problem has to do with the quantity. So let's run a little thought experiment here, okay? Think with me, bear with me. Are you actually wiser for your diet of nonstop news? Are you actually more, in a deep sense, informed and enlightened for binge-watching or listening or reading the latest, greatest report? Are you actually wiser? Are you more caring? Are you more patient? Are you more kind for having immersed yourself in that special report, that breaking bulletin? Are you more loving, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself? Can you say that having immersed yourself, placed yourself, soaked yourself in that, that you are wiser and more loving because of it. I'm not going to answer the question for you. It's a thought experiment we all need to wrestle with. And here's the reality. That's our problem. And the gospel addresses it. The gospel addresses it. Let's move on to point two. The foolish assumption underneath this problem. What is it that, if in fact, the quantity, the volume of news is such a destructive thing and problematic to our minds and hearts, why is it so attractive? Why are we so drawn to it? Why are we like moths to a flame when it comes to this, if that be the case? What's the source of this addiction? What's driving this? What's at the heart of the heart? in the midst of this uh, incessant feeding upon the latest news feed. So part of it has to do with our desire for control. I alluded to this earlier. A steady diet of, such, of news the way it is today, uh, whether in print or on the screen or on your phone or whatever the case may be, has a way of jacking up a sense of powerlessness, Okay. It's as though we, we can kind of see all these movements or sense, yeah, not really see, but sense, sense all these, there's all these things happening on the great board, on the stage, right, on the great stage. 
And we have this way, this, this depressed, despairing sense that, oh my gosh, we're just like extras in the cast. We don't even have a name. When the credits roll, nobody's, nobody cares, nobody knows. Or if you want to think in terms of a chessboard, there are these grandmasters at work, and we're just pawns. No place, no status, no significance. And so it has a way of, you know, a human being feels that long enough, and you want control, right? And so, given the way this mythology works, we then want knowledge. Given the loss of control, we then want knowledge. Now, the modern myth, the way this goes is, if we can understand a thing, we can master it. If we can, can grasp everything there is to know about a thing, then we can control it, right? This was the folly of the designers of the Titanic, by the way. In all their sketches and all their designs, they thought that they could rule the seas. Didn't work out that way. That's a modern myth. It actually goes back with ancient, ancient roots. This is the same folly that the magician operates with, not with designs and, and sketches, but with spells. And, uh, and such is that. It goes back to the early years, the early centuries of the church and the Gnostic heresies that, just to kind of simplify it, said that, you know, the work of Jesus, the, well, it was, it's significant, but it's not enough. What we really need is special knowledge, mystical insight that is to be attained by only a select few the enlightened ones, uh, it, that lie, that myth goes all the way back to the garden when Satan approached Adam and Eve and said, you can be like God. Just take and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You too, O creature, can be like God and you can't trust Him to take care of you. How does it play out in, in the news media? How does it play out in terms of, you know, why we subscribe to the feeds that we do and are so impulsive and compulsive about uh, checking in and tuning in and clicking on? Well, we're told something like this. Follow this feed, subscribe to this uh, story uh, or, or uh, magazine or newsletter or whatever it is. Follow us, listen to us, then you'll know and you'll understand, and you'll have a grasp on things. Oh, and by the way, you won't be like those ignorant mob masses out there, whether that's from your perspective, the left or the right, because you'll know. You'll know. Okay, another thought experiment. What is at the root of your needing to know? What is feeding your incessant insistence upon that news feed? What's behind our constant immersion in the latest, greatest story or news bulletin? How is fear, how does fear come into play there? 
Or put another way, coming at it from another angle, not just talking about fear and our immersion in the news, but pride. Pride and our obsession with the news, the folly of thinking we can know enough, and once we do, we can control. That's a lie as old as Genesis 3. How are we trying in our clicking and clicking and reading and listening and whatever, how are we falling prey to seeking out a God-like control and knowledge? This is a really significant issue. How does the gospel speak to it? The gospel has implications for how we listen to everything, including the news. Now we're finally getting to the text. Whew. How long are we doing? Okay. Um, we're finally getting to Psalm 29. We're finally getting into the only solution. It's, it's the, the one cure, and it's a deep one. It's got to go really, really deep. Because if we're talking about fear, and if we're talking about pride, then we've got to go really, really deep. Because those aren't just symptoms. Those are roots, and they're deeply, deeply entangled up in, in our, our hearts. We need... Uh, vision surgery. We need a whole new lenses. We've got the worst spiritual astigmatism you could imagine. And boy, do we need help. Boy, do we need help. Let's look at the psalm. All right, so let's first do a quick survey, 10,000 feet of the themes of what you see. You have David the king writing this song of praise to the Lord, his king. And in so doing, what he's uh, capturing are some themes that were actually current in the unbelieving nations of his day as they would talk about who was Lord of the storms, who was victor over the floods. And David shows us, <laughs> oh, if you only knew. And then he takes us to this dramatic, beautiful, amazing climax at the very end, verses 10 and 11 to show us, this, show us that this God of all grandeur is a God of all grace, and He is with us and for us. That this God, described in Psalm 29, is in fact with us and for us, and if you just have an inkling of a grasp of that reality, it'll radically transform how you listen to the news. That the God of Psalm 29 is with us and for us. That's your survey. Let's break it down into component parts, okay? So let's trace the flow of what David says here. First off, we begin with worship in heaven, verses 1 and 2. Let's read it. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, that's the angels. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Believers on earth are summoning the angels in heaven to worship, worship in love and awe and adoration of their God, this one that they are crying, crying out, recognizing, seeing something of His glory and proclaiming it to the rest of creation. We could talk an hour about verses 1 and 2. Moving on to verses 3 through 9, we'll call this storm tracking. It's not Doppler radar. It's much better. Verses 3 through 9. 
The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, like Syrian, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bear, and in His temple all cry glory. What David is describing here is a terrific storm appearing out over the Mediterranean, the many waters is what that meant, appearing out over the Mediterranean in the west, coming east in the northern part of Israel, moving down south, coming there upon Jerusalem as the people are assembled, and then going out into the desert. And it is... What David recognizes here is something far beyond what an uh, unseeing, just a horizontal perspective meteorologist would see. He is seeing the power of God, the presence of God, the manifestation of God's very glory in this storm, thundering that is literally earth-shaking. And as that storm moves towards the south and the people reflecting on this together. They then are awestruck and cry out together, glory to this God who is showing just a, you know, just a vibration of, his, the, 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 of, a, of, a, of a skin cell of his pinky. And what's transpiring there? Then we move on to verses 10 and 11, and this Lord is enthroned. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. So there is a, a certainty here um, in, in this prayer. Uh, there is glory that is reflected on. Uh, in, in the storm, glory that was alluded to back in verses 1 and 2. Glory. Glory is a theme that you see throughout the Scriptures, and I want to take you to one place in the New Testament because it is quite striking. Uh, many for, uh, you could even say in some cases unnerving when you consider the implications here. John 1. This is the prologue to John's gospel. John chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, this glory. And who are we speaking of when we're speaking of this one who is enthroned over the flood, over the storm? Who are we speaking of? John 1 verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then skipping down to verse 18, uh, pay attention to how John phrases this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now, what you pull all this together, and here's what you have. Jesus is the God of Psalm 29. He is the one who sits enthroned over the flood. He is the God of the storm. He is the God of the storm. And as I, this prayer, again, in verse 11, has a sense of such certainty, it actually could be translated legitimately that it already is. 
may the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. The idea being that this strength, this God of strength and peace has revealed Himself in Jesus, and because of Jesus, strength and peace are ours in Jesus. Ours. Ours as we listen to the news. As we listen to the news. So again, we've got to go deep here. If we're going to dislodge roots down into the heart that have to do with fear and have to do with pride, this is a solution. This is a cure. This has got to go really, really deep. And it's nothing less than the gospel itself. So the Leaning Tower of Pisa, no doubt no few of you are familiar with what I'm speaking of there, okay? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. You may not know this, but it is not leaning as much as it used to. It's built back in the 12th century, as I understand. It was started leaning basically the moment it was done. And in the last 17 years, one and a half inches of its leaning has shifted. You know why? One and a half inches of its leaning to the south has shifted because engineers have started digging out clay and sand on the north. And so it's realigning itself. Might last another two, three hundred years, they say, because of that work. The point being, it had to go deep. The only thing that way that thing that was going to fall is going to now stand is by some, the foundations being redug and going deep. And that's what we need as well. If we're to respond to the news in a way that is markedly different than we otherwise would, than our friends and neighbors and contemporaries do, and they're crying out in their own way for us to do, to show them another way. The gospel, uh, oh goodness, the significance, the implications here. You know what it allows us to do is not freak out about the news, but pray the news. To pray the news. To maybe major and specialize in a few things, like a beat reporter. Not in everything. That's impossible for any creature. But, you know, maybe keep a notebook on a particular thing that you're concerned about and track it and pray over it. How things are changing in whatever or wherever or whoever that is. Pray the news. Pray for authorities, not just the office itself, but the person, their heart, their spiritual state, the inputs that they're receiving. Pray for them. Pray for reporters. If that's such a big deal, pray for that man. Pray for that woman. Pray for that journalist. Pray for that editor. Pray for that news board. Pray for them. Pray for the dynamics within social media. Too complex for me to even begin to... But, you know, in terms of... In terms of how it just tends to work towards such disunity and partisanship, but perhaps unity and peace. Something radically transformative. Oh, would it, oh and one more thing. May we flip the script. Because let's be honest... We spend minutes reading our Bibles and hours watching the news. So maybe we should flip the script as followers of Jesus 
And what is actually lasting and significant should be reflected in the allocation of our time. The gospel has tremendous implications for everything and listening to everything, including the news. Last week. So last week I ended with talking about Joe Rogan. Surprised a few of you. Here's another one. William Shatner. Name ring a bell? Familiar with this guy? He's had a rather interesting career over the decades. Lots and lots of different shows, lots and lots of different roles, but of course there is but one that he is mostly known for, and that of course is in Star Trek and as the heroic Captain Kirk of the USS Enterprise. He starred in that role in in television initially from 1966 to 1969, then ten years later began a series of seven theatrical films. So he is forever enshrined in our memories, cultural, pop cultural memories as the great James T. Kirk. You may not know this, but William Shatner just celebrated his 90th birthday. Make you feel old? Made me feel old. His 90th birthday. And he was interviewed, and it was a really interesting give and take uh, with the Shat. And uh, this is what he said in, in, in response to a particular question that was something along the lines of, what do you wish you knew at the age of 20 that you now know at 90? What do, you, what do you wish that you had known at the age of 20 that you now know at the age of 90? This is what he said. I'm glad I didn't know. Because what you know at 90 is this. Take it easy. Nothing matters in the end. Hold on. Don't laugh. Think about what he just said. Take it easy. Nothing matters in the end. Now, he says that with a a smile and a grin because he's William Shatner. But that, that logic taken to the wall pushed to its logical conclusion is counsel of despair. It is an invitation to licentiousness. It is a license to cruelty, if you feel like it. And frankly, a path, if not to other destruction, self-destruction. Take it easy. Nothing matters in the end. See, how this applies to the news is so many of our friends and neighbors, that's what they believe, that nothing matters in the end. So here's how they engage with the news. And this is why our engagement with the news should be so radically different. Because if you actually believe that nothing matters in the end, then the here and now is it. You're living in the eternal present. And so the most important message you could possibly receive would be, well, what's just happening? And that's what you will base everything on, just what is happening. Because nothing else matters except what is happening. What will be, well, who cares? But for the Christian, if I can rift on Shatner for a minute, it ought to go like this. Take it easy, everything matters. Take it easy, everything matters in the end because we have a God is the God of Psalm 29, and His name is Jesus. And in Jesus, we know that nothing escapes His notice, 
Nothing is outside of his grasp, and nothing will ever violate or even begin to tease towards contravening his purposes. That's what we know. So, boy, can we rest easy. No matter what that anchor man or anchor woman has just relayed, no matter how far or close it may be, no matter what your expectations or assumptions as to how things that week were supposed to go, Jesus is the God of Psalm 29. That's good news. Can we pray? Lord, you are creator and sustainer and ruler of all. You are God and King. You are the glory, your glory, your glory is that of strength and power and majesty and faithfulness and grace and mercy. We ask that you'd help us to see and hear and think and respond through this lens. Would you root us and ground us in your word as the breaking news, as the special report that is actually significant and needed. We pray in your name.